Shalom, King of Kings family. Great to be back with all of you today. I might go for the water a little bit more tonight than normal. But I tell you what, it is good to be out of quarantine. Amen. So just to catch you up for those of you that may not have been with us last week um, here in the house and online, uh, the Omicron, thank you team, it started to sweep through different parts of Israel and uh, especially even in our ministry areas. And um, thank you to the team that, that held the fort down last week. I want to say thank you to Pastor Ray and, and Melissa. So if you didn't, if you didn't uh, get a chance to partake in that, last week it was just two of them leading worship up here. You can go check that out on the archives. It's very good worship. But there was just two of them because most everybody who you saw on stage tonight was in quarantine including myself and Pastor Mike. We were down last week, so thank you for your prayers. We're all recovered, we're all out of quarantine, we're all good, and then, so thank you. The Lord has been good to all of us, as, as to many of you who are recovered as well. And unfortunately now, in our prayer team, some of them are struggling with COVID right now, and uh, even in the summit, some of the summit guys are, are struggling with it right now. So it's, it's bouncing around to different parts. We're just gonna stop and pray for a minute together. So thank you for everybody that helped out last week and filled in. And Pastor Wayne filled in on short notice. Last week, I had to call him because we weren't sure if I had it or didn't have it. I wasn't feeling great, so we took the test. And when you got the PCR back, I had to call Pastor Wayne. I didn't get my confirmation until about an hour before the service. So I texted him Saturday night saying, hey, this might be a possibility. Can you pull something together? So we had to... Uh, he had to do it on short notice. Thank you, Pastor Wayne, for doing that. I got a text right before we went into worship. He's not feeling well right now. So we're going to stop and pray for Pastor Wayne, Pastor Derek, and everybody else, and Dr. Catherine, and others who are just not feeling well. We don't know that it's corona, but uh, some of them are just still not feeling 100%. So we're going to stop and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, God, that you'll just get rid of this thing in the name of Yeshua. Let it, let it pass through those that have already tested positive. Let it pass through quickly. Let it get out of their system in the name of Yeshua. For those of, uh, of us in our community that are just not feeling well today, we pray for healing in the name of Yeshua, God. Your name is above every name. It is stronger than any sickness and any physical bodily feeling. And we pray for complete recovery today, right now, miraculously, that we might give a testimony to the world of what you've done in Jerusalem through your mighty miracles and healing. We pray for that today. We stand on the word of God, the name of Yeshua, and his shed blood, we say together, amen. Amen. So we're glad you're here today. Welcome, King of Kings family. Welcome back into the house. Uh, welcome everybody watching online, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, and all of the different platforms. Welcome. We have folks watching tonight um, from over 25 different countries at least that we know of. Thank you for letting us know where you're watching from. Even those uh, special people have joined us from Kenya tonight, some from Spain, uh, the UK, Mexico, and many other places. And I do want to say a special welcome back to our friend Scott in the United States. Scott, thank you for your testimony this week. It was a wonderfully powerful testimony of God's rescue of your life and his healing. I shared your message with all of our servants in the house tonight before the service. It encouraged all of us. Thank you so much. And let me encourage all of you watching online and especially those in the house, when the Lord does something good in your life, would you please let us know? 
There are others of us that need to know when God is moving in miracles. Our faith needs to be built up. Will you please let us know when God does something great in your life, a breakthrough, a testimony, a healing, a miracle? Send your prayer requests and your testimonies to WePray at kkcj.org. And we can do this and testify together. So praise the Lord. That was a little bit of family business. Grab your Bibles, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue in our perspectives series. There's so many things going on uh, this month as we're uh, still in the 21 days of prayer. Thank you, everybody, who's helping participate with that. And and if you haven't joined us, 9 o'clock every morning, the first 21 days of the month, right on our webpage and on our YouTube channel, you can find the link. Join us for about 15 minutes of corporate unified prayer together. And on Wednesdays, You can join us in the summit at noon and 5 p.m. for live group prayer as part of the 21 days of prayer. Thank you, Rachel, for hosting online. So if you need anything online tonight, Rachel is your host. And after the service, if anybody's joining us online for our community group, Joanna will be leading the community group tonight. Acts chapter 10. What I want to do tonight is I want to begin with some very broad brushstrokes. I want to talk about the northern half of Israel, very broadly. Then I want to talk about the southern half of Israel broadly. Then I want to speak about a new group that Yeshua wanted to minister to. So think of it that way. It's the north, it's the south, it's the new group tonight, and it will make a lot of sense as we dive into these chapters. Speaking of the north, as we mentioned just a few weeks ago, Yeshua spent a lot of his ministry time, we can even say the majority of his ministry time, in the northern part of Israel, mainly around the Sea of Galilee and the surrounding famous towns and villages around Galilee. He was preaching, teaching, doing miracles, and as I proved to you two or three weeks ago, the Messiah chose most, if not all, of his disciples from the north around the Sea of Galilee making it very special, making a point, putting emphasis on the area. And so I was meditating on this again this week, and I thought, Lord, what is it about the north? Why did you want to start there? Why did you spend so much time there? Why so much emphasis? Why did you call the disciples from the north? And I had a sense in my spirit, and I'm saying this only in a prophetic way. I'm not saying it as under lined authority of scripture, but just from a prophetic sense, that God was revealing his heart of restoration to the northern tribes of Israel. Because you might remember it was the northern tribes that rebelled first. It was the northern tribes that were sent into exile first. And I believe it might be the heart of God prophetically to say, they were estranged from me for the longest amount of time. They renounced me in my relationship with them for the longest amount of time. And so when I got to earth and I kicked off the earthly ministry, the northern people were on my heart. They had been away from me for the longest amount of time. And I wanted to restore them first. I wanted them to know that I came for them, that they were loved. I chose the disciples from them in the north. I wanted to restore the brokenness of the northern tribes of Israel after they had chosen idolatry and had to face my judgment in exile. Could it be that Yeshua's heart 
of restoration is on display early in his ministry. An additional thought is that Yeshua wanted to reveal something new in his day that he might have wanted to reveal to the people of the northern half of Israel, the people of the Galilee, because they were not as religious as the southern half. You see, they didn't have Jerusalem. They didn't have the temple. They were not as educated in the north. Could it be that Yeshua wanted to reveal something new to them? He wanted to establish a new vision point that even the non-religious are welcome into his family. Even the non-educated would be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Mark chapter two, verse 17 underscores this. It says, on hearing this, Yeshua said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, Yeshua is in a constant state of opening new doors and welcoming new people who previously had not been included in his kingdom. Here in the north, as we're talking, it was the non-religious, the non-educated people. And later, Yeshua continues to break down stereotypes and barriers, not only by welcoming the northern non-religious, non-educated, but now he's opening the door to the kingdom for women, for slaves, for Samaritans, for children, the commoners, the sinners, the tax collectors, the demon-possessed people, and the sick. We know that later in Yeshua's ministry, he focused on the southern half, the temple, the religious, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and he welcomes them into the kingdom of God also, but he started in the north, breaking down walls, breaking down barriers, proving that God so loved the entire world that he gave himself. He didn't only love the religious. As a matter of fact, he was harder on the religious than anyone else. But he loved everyone, beginning with his heart of restoration for the northern tribes that had been separated for so long. But eventually, we know that Yeshua makes his way to the south, back to Jerusalem and the surrounding areas of Judea. We know that there was the sparring and the fighting and the arguing and the debating, even amongst the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that Yeshua is thrust right into the middle of. He puts them in their place many times. He reveals the truth when it was being twisted. And we know that even in the South, many came to faith. Even religious leaders came to faith, but many of them were also intimidated by the Pharisees, by the temple leaders, by the scribes. John chapter 12, verse 42 reminds us, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So Yeshua comes, he begins the earthly ministry, emphasizing the people of the north, breaking down barriers. Then he moves to the south. He debates with them. Many become followers, even religious leaders, although some of them are intimidated and they're scared. We know that the, it was the disciples that even after the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord, even the disciples would meet in secret, it says, for fear of the religious leaders. That's what kind of intimidation and threat 
power the religious leaders were exercising over the people of Israel at the time. We know that in Yeshua's earthly ministry, that hundreds of thousands of people followed him over time and listened to his sermons and his lessons and his parables. We know that at any given point, let's take the feeding of the 5,000, for instance, that was only men, didn't count women and children who were with them, could have been 10 to 20,000 people being fed and taught on that day. And later the same thing happens with the 4,000, could have been 8, 10, 12, 15,000 people. Yeshua ministered to tens, if not hundreds of thousands, and many became followers. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, we don't see hundreds of thousands following him, do we? We see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Shavuot that there were only 120 believers that were faithfully gathered by that point. Again, you have to remember it's not only 120 believers. It's 120 brave believers who were not giving in to the intimidation of the religious leaders, as the Bible says, that others felt that weight and that pressure also. But even though the body of Messiah by Acts chapter 2 was very young and quite small, it began to grow quickly. There was a burst of new believers on the day of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, people from many countries and many languages. This meant that all of the existing congregations and all of the gatherings and small groups and home groups, they had to adjust quickly to the new things that God was doing. Friends, sometimes it feels that way right now coming through these many years of corona that it can feel like there's the brave few. But God is in the midst of doing something brand new and it's not gonna look like what it looked like a few years ago and that's okay. Remember from our, our constant theme and our messages, our speaking and our discipleship, that we are married to the message of the Messiah. We are not married to the method. We are married to the message, not the method. God has freedom to do whatever he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And the same is happening in the book of Acts. They were small in number at the time, and then a burst of growth happened. 3,000 religious Jews gave their heart to the Lord in one day. A lot of adjustments had to happen with the leaders of the congregations and the home groups. Peter was at the center of a lot of this. He was leading the 120 in prayer. He's the one that got up and spoke on the balcony of Solomon's colonnade to the people down below that were gathered on God's appointed holiday. It was Peter at the center of it speaking when these 3,000 religious Jews give their heart to the Lord. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 reads this way. Those who accepted his message were immersed and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. But that wasn't it because the believers kept growing. Look at the next verse, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day they continued meeting together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, friends, the apostles were quickly, they had to come out of a season of disappointment that only 120 showed up. And then this burst of growth happened. Thousands happened in one day. The Lord was adding daily to their numbers. There was this another burst of growth, this constant growth after that. The apostles were thrust into new roles. They had previously been students of Yeshua, but now they're teachers. They used to be followers of the Lord, and now they're leaders in the body of Messiah. They had to quickly organize things in homes, in prayer meetings. How do we serve the poor? How do we do the preaching rotation? How do we travel? How do we plant? How do we train? It all had to happen very quickly because so many thousands were coming to the Lord in this new wave. I wonder what kind of stress they had to go through reorganizing and getting together for strategy sessions on how to make it all work. Just a couple of days ago, there was 120, and now there are multiple thousands of new believers that have to be trained. Never forget how quickly God can move. Never forget how quickly God can intervene in your life. That one day, you could feel like there's never gonna be another breakthrough in your whole life. It'll never happen. God doesn't listen to your prayers. He's not doing anything special for you. He only loves everybody else. I know it feels like that sometimes. But one of the lessons we learn through scripture is how quickly God moves when it's the right time. And when he moves, it's never small. When God moves, it's always something big. And it changes people's lives and families and cities and countries when God decides to move. And so we wait patiently for those days. We pray faithfully for God to move in these incredible ways as he has always done and wants to do again. Yeshua had broken the stereotypes of the north. They're not religious. They're not educated. Surely he didn't come for them. He says, I did come from them. I came that they would be saved. I chose my disciples from them. I did some of my best preaching up there. I did come and I broke the stereotypes. I've welcomed women, children, outcasts, slaves, Samaritans, the sick. But Yeshua wanted to continue to have vision to break down other barriers and other doors and invite people to continually come into his kingdom. We will get to Acts 10, and that is our main text, but I'm, I'm leading you up to the patterns that Yeshua ministered and what he did on earth in the north and the south, and now he wants to do it again. You know, the southern religious group probably looked at the north like he, he, would, never, he would never choose them, and then he did. And the northerners probably looked at the southerners saying, ha ha, see, he chose us you arrogant people from the south. And then lo and behold, here comes Yeshua into Jerusalem and then stirs it up. And by the time he's ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit falls and now thousands of people in the south are getting saved and they're going, ha, people of the north, see? And he's breaking down barriers. Northern tribes, I love you. Southern tribes, I love you. But I've got more people I love. John chapter 10, verse 14. Yeshua's heart and vision continues to break down doors. He says, I'm the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You see, perhaps the disciples had watched all of this and all of these barriers being broken down and when they heard the phrase, other sheep, I have other sheep, maybe they thought he was talking about the outcast again. Maybe they thought he was still talking about the women or maybe the Samaritans this time. He had already taught on all that. He had already broken down those barriers and he still said, I have other sheep. Who on earth could be, he be talking about? Can't be talking about the north, can't be talking about the south, can't be talking about women and outcasts and children. Bring the children to me, let the women come to me, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, bring them all to me. But I have other sheep. Who is he talking about? Who are these other sheep? Who did the disciples think these other sheep were? And now we're to the main text, Acts chapter 10. You see, there was a, a Gentile man in Acts chapter 10 named Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man of God. He prayed every day. He was faithful to obey the laws of God as best as he knew them. He was well known in town and he had a good reputation for being kind to the poor. Cornelius was praying in Caesarea at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and that's important because in the biblical cycle of prayer in Judaism, they would pray in the morning, right when they woke up, very early. This was called the shachrit prayer. They would pray about noontime. This was called the mincha prayer. And then they would pray late in the afternoon to make sure they could pray, get all their chores done, and still get home to be with the family for dinner. That afternoon prayer, about three to four o'clock, was called the ma'ariv prayer. Cornelius is participating in the Ma'ariv prayer in the afternoon. It's three o'clock. There's a reason the author told you what time it was, so that you would see how connected he was with Jewish life. He's praying at three in the afternoon. An angel comes to him and says, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers. The Lord has heard your prayers. Send some of your servants to Java and go get the apostle Peter. Cornelius obeys, he sends his best servants, they leave, they go to Jaffa to get Peter. Well, the next day, because the journey takes a while, the next day, Peter is on the roof in this house where the servants are going at noon. It's very important that you understand it's at noon because Peter was also praying in the traditional Jewish cycle. He was praying the Mincha prayers at noon. That's why the writer wants you to know that. At noon, he was getting hungry as he prayed. And of course, you know the story from Acts 10. There comes a sheet down out of heaven. A white sheet comes down. And in the sheet, all kinds of animals and things that were unkosher, they were unclean according to the Bible for Jewish people. They could not eat them. And a voice from heaven comes to Peter and says, Peter, take and eat. And Peter, being a faithful Jew, praying at 12 o'clock, that's kind of a clue. Being a faithful Jew says, no, that's not food. We don't eat that. The voice says, hey, second time, go ahead and take it and eat it. I, I brought it down this beautiful white sheet for you. Eat it. 
Peter says, no, that's not food. We don't eat that. A third time it says, take and eat. Peter says, I'm not eating that. So whatever voice this is, I'm not eating it. Having this vision. We should note that Peter never did eat anything from the sheet. The sheet is taking back up. The Bible says that Peter doesn't exactly know what that vision was about. He knows it's something special, but the Bible says he contemplated what the meaning of the vision was. If he, if he thought it was just eat the food and it was that simple, then he wouldn't have contemplated what the vision was about. But he never eats it, never touches it. And just then, knock, knock, knock on the door. Here come the servants from Cornelius' house. They come up. Peter goes down and they talk and they say, who are you? Well, we're from Cornelius. He's had a vision. God says, come get you. And Peter says, well, great. I just had a vision. I think I need to go with you. So Peter gathers a few guys. They go with Cornelius' servants. They spend another day traveling and then they finally all get back to Cornelius' house. This is where we pick up the reading, Acts chapter 10, verse 27. Breaking down barriers, north, south, the father has other sheep. Yeshua has other sheep. Acts 10, 27. While speaking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Remember, we're in the perspective series. We're going to break this down for just a moment. First of all, Peter first meets Cornelius outside the home. They shake hands. They probably hug, maybe a bro hug. I don't know what it was like, maybe a fist bump. However, they used to do it back in those days. Cornelius opens the door, he goes in, and it's a large gathering. It wasn't just a family, a large gathering now. And immediately, Peter looks at the crowd, and, and he has to make a decision. And he says, you know it's against our law. Please notice, he does not say it's against God's law. He says it's against our law. This was a man-made law. This was a religious law. This was not a God's law. The religious Jews would not fellowship and eat with Gentiles because they did not want to become unclean. So as was their practice, they would set laws upon laws to protect them from violating God's laws. They would make man laws. Peter is referring to one of those man laws. He's not saying, God says I can't eat with you. He's saying, our laws say I can't eat with you. Ah, I think Peter's starting to get a breakthrough here. Because the next verse he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me. When did God show him? In the sheet. The unclean animals. That was the whole point of the vision. It wasn't about food. It wasn't about breaking God's law. It wasn't about eating unkosher things. It wasn't about changing God's law. It wasn't about any of those things. It was about showing Peter that his perspective was wrong. God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter is finally understanding. He's expressing that the door has been closed to Gentiles coming to faith all of this time. 
in all of the hard work that Yeshua had done to break down the stereotypes and the barriers hadn't quite gotten through to everybody yet. You say, how's that possible? He welcomed the people from the north. Yeah, yeah, the Jews from the north. And the people from the south. Yeah, yeah, the Jews from the south. But, but what about the females and the women? Yeah, yeah, the Jewish women. And the children, the Jewish children. What about the sick? Well, the Jewish people that got healed. What about the demon-possessed? No, the Jews who got freed from demons. What about the Samaritans? Well, they're half-Jews. They count. They're kind of like outer, outer rim cousins, but at least there's a connection. And every time he would break down a door, it was like they got half the revelation. Half the revelation until finally God changed Peter's perspective. And he said, Peter, don't call someone unclean when I said they're clean. And he changed Peter's perspective. Cornelius explains his story. Peter explains his story. Look back in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter then goes on in the next few verses to preach the full gospel about Yeshua. He tells them fully about Yeshua's salvation. Look at verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Remember, it was a large crowd. They heard it. The Holy Spirit fell on a large crowd in Cornelius' home. It, it goes on later to talk about they got saved. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They all went out to be immersed with water. Their life is being changed in drastic measure in great numbers. You see how God moves? Just a few minutes ago, Gentiles couldn't be saved. Now, large numbers of Gentiles are being immersed in water and filled with the Holy Spirit. When God moves, he moves quickly, and he moves powerfully, and he doesn't move small, he moves big. Let me give you our key phrase of the night. The heart of God is to search for ways to bring people into his kingdom and his family, not ways to keep them out. You want to know what God is really about? God is about searching for ways to bring people into his family. He's not about finding ways to keep them out. God has been trying to find every way possible to bring every single person into his family. Sending the patriarchs, sending the prophets to them, giving him a nation to be an example to other nations, giving them the temple, the laws of God on the mountains, signs and wonders, his voice from heaven, pillars of cloud and fire, thunder, lightning, giving them the land of Israel, giving them the kings, even when he didn't want them to have kings, giving them judges, finally God himself coming in the form of Yeshua, all the prophetic words that were spoken about him, giving them the disciples, giving them all of the lessons to break down all of these barriers, giving them the new covenant scriptures, the Holy Spirit, the revelation, the age to come, giving us everything possible to get us to hear the message Children, I am trying to find every way possible to get you into my family. I am not looking for ways to keep you out. 
And this is the message the world needs to hear. But you have to do it his way. You don't get to do it your way. You say, well, if his, if his message is so inclusive, how come I can't just do whatever I want? Because that's not his way. He's looking for a way to bring you in through forgiveness, through repentance, through cleansing, through truly being a child of the creator. Not rebelliously and pridefully snubbing our nose at the creator, somehow we think he doesn't know what he's doing. He's looking for every way to bring us into his family, not looking for ways to keep us out. So Peter finally gets this perspective change. Certainly, the other few guys that were with Peter, plus all of Cornelius' house, and all of the servants, and all of the neighbors, and every, all the Gentiles that get saved, there's a lot of rejoicing going on. But then the news travels, the news travels back to Jerusalem, back to the circumcised Jewish believers, probably to what we call the Jerusalem Council or the Believing Sanhedrin, probably James and the team that had gathered many times before. And they don't like the story. It's not a good story for them. It says, hey, Peter went to these Gentiles' house and they all got saved. And the circumcised Jews go, wait, wait, wait. We thought it was only for the northern Jews and the southern Jews and the Jewish women and the Jewish children and the Jewish sick and the Jewish demon-possessed and the half-Jewish Samaritans. What do you mean these Gentiles get to come in now? And they don't like the story until Peter gets there and Peter says, guys, he gives us one of those famous phrases of all history. Guys, you had to be there. He had to be there. What was I supposed to do? I just start talking to them about Yeshua and the Holy Spirit falls in the room. Peter said, it wasn't even one of my best sermons. I didn't even get halfway through my notes. Boom, the Holy Spirit's on everybody. Signs, wonders, miracles, tongues, healings, immersion. Here it is. Everything that you can think of was happening. Holy Spirit fell in the room. Hey guys, remember when we were in the upper room, Acts chapter two, and the Holy Spirit fell on all of us? Remember that day? That's what was happening. He was making a reference back to Shavuot. He was saying, don't forget what it was like when he led us into the family. He was doing the same thing for them. And upon Peter's testimony, the whole council of apostles changed their perspective. And they said, well, if Peter says it's true and it happened, then it happened. We change our minds. We change our hearts. We change our perspective. Now we have to figure out the new system. It was one thing when there was 120 believers in the upper room and then thousands came to faith and they had to reorganize. Now imagine what the meetings were like. Okay, we were dealing with thousands of new Jewish people and now we're gonna have to deal with thousands of new Gentile believers. Organization meeting, strategy meeting, first thing tomorrow, bagels, coffee. Guys, get here early. Get some good cheeses. You know how they like to do here in Israel? Get you about 20 different cheeses. Get you some yogurts. Some of that good fish they do in the morning. Some bagels. Got to have a strategy session. What are we going to do with all of these people? And now there are no more barriers. 
The kingdom of God is available to everyone. Man, woman, child, old, young, sick, healed, demon-possessed, demon-freed, dead, raised, Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, slave-free. He's broken down all of them. And it's like God was using Acts chapter 10 to say, thank you for finally understanding my heart. And notice, it took Cornelius. A lot of people give Peter credit. Gives Cornelius credit. That he ha- he's the one that had to step out on a limb just as much as Peter did. And face the backlash of, will these Jewish apostles actually speak to me? But he obeyed God to send the servants. And then give Peter credit for stepping out when he said, you know everybody's gonna be against this, right? And it wasn't only the religious Jews in the synagogues and temple. He, he got it from his own guys back in Jerusalem. But praise God for Peter and Cornelius partnering together, Jew and Gentile, two visions coming together and hearing the heart of God say, I'm looking for every way possible to bring people into my family. I am not looking for ways to keep them out. And their perspective changed. Let's summarize with the perspectives of different people in the passage. This is a case that no matter what the perspective used to be of the person, the perspective got changed. Peter's perspective, of course, got changed on Gentiles as a whole. They are not unclean. Do not call them unclean. And yes, you may go and eat with them. Cornelius' perspective got changed Because as a God-fearing Gentile, he always felt on the outside of the circle and outside of the family. And now he's no longer on the outside, he's on the inside. He is what John 10 called the other sheep. Bring them into my sheepfold. The circumcised believers in Jerusalem, their perspective got changed when Peter's testimony reached them. They watched all of this unfold And then they had to make spiritual and theological adjustments in their heart and in their mind. But give them credit because they made the adjustment. They let God change what they thought. Everyone in Cornelius' house and all of the friends and, and villagers that are now saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, immersed in water, of course, they had a major perspective change. Now they're all welcome. They're on the inside. Now they're all part of a brand new congregation in one night. You're not part of us. You're at the center of us in one night. Major perspective change. Let me leave you with this challenge. When is the last time the Holy Spirit was allowed to change our perspective on something? This was a big deal. This was the final barrier. This was the barrier between Jews and the rest of the world. Might have been the biggest barrier in their mind. You could see it was in all the writings what they already thought. It shows up again in Acts chapter 15. It showed up in Acts chapter 10 here. And in other passages, they were not convinced Gentiles were supposed to be part of this. And what's remarkable about this story is 
how much they let the Holy Spirit grab a hold of their thoughts, their theology, and their heart and change it. When's the last time we let the Holy Spirit get a hold of our thoughts and change them? I don't mean learn something new. That, that's, an, that's an empty vessel being filled with something new. That's called revelation, new revelation. I'm talking about something that you hold on to and the Lord's saying, that's not right. Today I'm going to teach you to let go of it and I'm going to change your perspective. When's the last time you let God change your perspective on something major? I appreciate Cornelius here. I appreciate Peter. Because Peter was humble enough to say two different times, now I understand. Now I realize that God has shown me something different. Our closing verse tonight is actually from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's why there's no barriers, because God hasn't been looking at the outward appearance this whole time anyway. He's been looking at the heart of every man and woman, all of his children that he created, wanting to bring them into his family, looking for ways to bring us in, never looking for ways to keep us out. Take the challenge with you this week. When is the last time you let the Holy Spirit change your perspective on something that you've held dear? not just give you new revelation. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your words today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your patience with us. God, we are certainly in the same boat as Peter at times. We're certainly in the same boat as the Jerusalem council, that it's hard to believe this new message sometimes. It's hard to believe we need to make a change in us. The people we've rejected are now in the center of the family. But Father, you kept breaking these barriers down so that we would humbly remember that there was a time where we were the one. We were the one that you ran after. We were the one you called back from the dead. We were the one you healed, you redeemed, and you saved. And never let us forget the humility of that day. The good news came to us, and we were filled with the Holy Spirit. During this time of uncertainty and physical fears and diseases and world governments changing. We know you want to do a new thing. We know your message has never changed. But the method you want to use today, we want to be open to. Change our perspective on the world. Let us be part of what you're doing as we continue to see the end of the age get closer, faster, Use us for those Cornelius and Peter uniting moments. As long as we will do what they did. They prayed. As the scripture underlines, they prayed faithfully. And when you gave them a word, they obeyed. And it broke down one of the biggest barriers to the gospel. 
Let us see it from that perspective in Yeshua's name. Amen. That's a good word, guys. Hopefully that touched you tonight. We're going to close with some worship. Let the Lord continue to minister. We're not going to have our deeper connection team. Like I mentioned, some of them are recovering. It's probably wise also tonight if we don't do our traditional upfront altar prayer, just for the same reason, just a little bit of distance while Omicron is still so hot. A couple of weeks from now, this will be, praise God, behind us, and we'll, we'll see a bright light at the end of this tunnel. But send us all of your prayer requests and your testimonies that we pray at kkcj.org. Let's worship into this.